We're going to read beginning at verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist said steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, Settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It is the word of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the public reading of his infallible word for his name's sake. I want to take as our text the seventh verse of the chapter, which is actually... Uh, a sub subordinate clause or phrase to that command that we find in verse 6, where Peter said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The, the first epistle of Peter is a striking book of Scripture in that Peter treats himself not so much as an apostle, which he was, but as a member of the presbytery, as one of the elders. He exhorted the elders, and he said, I'm also an elder. That is, he wasn't seeking to lord it over them. He wasn't seeking to 
be lords over God's heritage, as he wrote in verse 3. But there is a focus in this epistle and in the eldership on the concept of humility. And so we find the exhortation in verse 5, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Years ago, Dr. Alan Cairns, back at our home church in Greenville, was preaching a series of messages on this epistle, and I will never forget the message that dealt with verse 5 of this passage, because that was a message dealing with being clothed with humility. He pointed out that the force of the expression behind it in the original language is to put on the slave's apron. And that was a profound thought for people in that time. If you put on the slave's apron, you were taking the lowest station. You were declaring that your whole agenda was about service to others. And then we find the command in verse 6, about humbling yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And verse 7, our text this evening, tells us how you do that, how you go about humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. And the words of our text are classic in explaining how you do that, casting all your care, Upon him, for he careth for you. So to be humble, in the true sense, is to commit yourself completely to the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only in that submission do you find liberation from the concerns for your reputation or your well-being, or the welfare of your family. The temptation that so many confront is the thought that other people don't understand your problems, and that, therefore, you have to educate them about those problems. In his first epistle, where we have read tonight, the Apostle Peter majored on the theme of the sufferings of Christ as the key to understanding the accomplishments and the applications of the gospel. In every circumstance of life to which Peter directed the attention of his readers, he bade his readers to consider the extent of Christ's sufferings before reaching any conclusions about the extent of their own sufferings. And in every chapter in the epistle, there is a reference to the sufferings of Christ. Uh, it begins uh, in the fifth chapter, it's in the very first verse. Peter said, he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. 
Peter did not minimize the sufferings of anyone. But he sought to place them in their proper context. Because elsewhere in his writing, he spoke in, if you look back at chapter 4 and verse 12, chapter 4 and verse 12, he said to them, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. These were people who were going to face profound suffering. Profound persecution. But Peter sought to place even those adversities in their context. And so he wrote that the sufferings of Christ are the antidote to human pride. He wrote essentially that if anyone put on the slave's apron, it was Jesus. So that these sufferings of Christ show us the path to peace and contentment. It's the path of humility and trust. And here is where the scripture really runs directly against what so many people think about the way to happiness. It is to fill yourself with pride. But Peter said, the path of humility and trust is the path of casting all your care upon Christ because he cares for you. The New Testament contains exhortations about anxiety. Let us just turn back, still by way of introduction, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, from the Sermon on the Mount, and the famous passage beginning at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth, that ye have need of all these things. 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now did the Lord teach his people in that passage that they should not plan for the future? When he said take no thought for the morrow, did he suggest to his people that they should not care at all about making provision for the next day? Not at all. But he taught that the kind of fretfulness that awaits the future with trepidation is a waste of energy for the Lord's people. For the Lord knoweth that you have need of these things. Jesus taught that you should not let the future become a care to you. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul exhorted the Philippians. If we turn to that epistle, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Be full of care for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the force of the expression is you shouldn't be anxious about anything. The presence of anxiety and fretfulness is the sign that you have not bowed yourself completely to the direction of God in your life. And it's easy to say such things. But when the reality comes into your life, we all find it to be much more difficult. Because as long as you are in the flesh, yes, as long as you are in the flesh, you will face the tension between the humble submission to the purpose of God and the ardent desire to have everything as you wish. We like to organize our lives, and we like to have everything the way we want it to be. Peter's argument in chapter 5 is that you are able to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God only when you have cast all your care upon Christ. You succeed in the spiritual warfare only when you have cast all your care on Christ. I have no doubt used the illustration before in this congregation that in every place where my family lived when I was growing up, there was a simple sign on one of the walls in the house or the apartment, whatever it was. It had a brown textured background with large gold letters. I think my brother still has the sign in his home. There were two simple words on that sign. Jesus cares. Over the years, 
That simple sign and that message has spoken to me again and again. Jesus cares. Present tense. Those words bring to my mind the words of the gospel song. And in particular, the refrain of that song, Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Though the road be dreary, the long night weary, I know my Savior cares. We have a Savior who cares about us and cares for us far more effectively than we could ever care for ourselves. We tend to believe, and I think if we took a poll, we would find that uh, it was 100% on this issue. We tend to believe no one understands our problems the way we do. Not even Jesus. We, we, we are very much tuned into our problems. But this evening... Let's come to the text and let's hear the command of the Spirit of God and let us dwell on those words. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Christians are frequently better at speaking about trust than they are about practicing it. Let me say that again. Christians are frequently better at speaking about trust than they are about practicing it, and especially speaking about it when it has to do with other people and their circumstances. Well, you just have to trust the Lord. I mean, we have all of those sayings lined up. When somebody has a problem, well, you just have to trust the Lord. But when it comes to yourself personally, then the excuses start to surface. Well, you see, I'm just naturally a worrier. I, I just can't help it. You know, that's just the way I am. It's almost like saying, well, you know, I'm just naturally a sinner, so I just can't help it. But we argue that Christians should not sin. That's the argument of the Bible. We argue that Christ has freed his people from the domination of sin. So why can we not say that Christ has freed his people from the domination of cares? David wrote of an experience he had in Psalm 142. Psalm 142. And verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. David looked around him, and basically what he was saying is nobody knows how difficult things are for me. Nobody cared for my soul. But in the very next verse, we find the response that David gave to this situation. I cried unto thee, O Lord, 
I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. To cast all your care upon Christ is to surrender your control of that care. We're very good at singing, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. We're good at singing that, but we're not so good at leaving it there. A lot of times when we bring a matter to prayer, we bring it before the Lord And when we get up and go away, we carry it with us. Because we still have this idea, to which I alluded, that we are, after all, the most competent to understand and deal with our problems. Yet, we say Jesus knows everything. That's orthodoxy. But we have bought into the idea as subtle as it is, that some cares are beyond him. Some cares are too great. We would never say such a thing out loud, but in our thinking, we tend in that direction. Notice that the action of our text is a present tense. He cares or he careth for you. That is, that care is always there. It doesn't take time off. We tend to divide our Lord Jesus Christ now from his true humanity. We lose sight of the clear conception that the one who was born of a human mother is still a man. He is in heaven. One born of a human mother. He's still a man. And he still understands every aspect of our human condition. We tend to think or lose sight of the fact that he has forgotten what it is to be human. But the truth of the scriptures is that we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he knows them and he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin so he can help us he can carry us so I want briefly to consider with you three elements of his care this evening First of all, the capacity of his care. Just how much can he care? How much can he carry? Isn't there a limit? There seems to be for us. So that our answer is, well, he can carry some of our burdens, but those that are nearest to our hearts or those that are deepest those that we hesitate even to express, are too much for our Lord to manage. And yet the word picture in our text is very vivid. Because the verb translated as cast pictures the action of throwing a saddle or a blanket on a horse. It's the word that occurs in the account in the Gospels when the disciples threw their clothes on the colt, 
on which Jesus entered Jerusalem. They cast their clothes on the colt. It's the picture in our context here in the West of a cowboy saddling a horse. Now, our, one of our granddaughters is quite interested in horses, and uh, she and her younger sister uh, have been taking horse riding lessons this summer, and she's quite taken with the whole idea. But I can tell you, when they go to saddle a horse, they don't tie the saddle to a rope hanging from the top of the barn and then lower it slowly onto the horse so that the horse doesn't carry all the weight. Because if they were to take that approach, they wouldn't get very far. People don't climb on a horse to hang on to the railings to which the horse is tied. They cast themselves and that saddle on the horse And they climb onto that saddle so that all of their weight is on the horse's back. Now there are people who think that Christ can bear only a portion of what troubles them. They don't want to put too much on him. But what did Peter say? Cast all your care upon him. That which is heaviest. That which weighs you down the most, cast it on him. Can he carry the load? Let us go back again to Psalms, to the 55th Psalm this time. Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast Thy burden upon the Lord. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Cast it. Throw it onto the Lord. You see, sometimes we adopt the attitude of the disciples in the storm that they encountered on the Sea of Galilee. You find that account in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 38. The disciples went into a ship to go across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm came up, as we read in verse 37, as it often did on that lake, The waves beat into the ship. It was now full. They were going to sink. But we notice in verse 38, he, that is Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. It's the only reference in the Gospels to Jesus sleeping. He was asleep on a pillow. And they wake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not? that we perish. Don't you care about us? We're about to go down. The ship's about to sink. And that was an event that happened many times on the Sea of Galilee. Don't you care? 
we take the view, as the disciples did, that he can't really care about us, at least not sufficiently, that he must have more important matters to which to attend than the things that concern us. But that argument is really bolstering our own contention that, in the words of the popular song, nobody knows the troubles that we've seen. And yet those very cares are what threaten to strangle us spiritually. And I want you to look at three different references in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels. First of all, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns, here is his exposition of the parable of the sower and the seed, is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Now let us look at the Gospel of Luke and chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. It is the same passage, the parallel passage. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked, notice, with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. And one other passage in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, and verse 34. And this is in the context of watching for the coming of the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. These things, the cares of this life, can distract us even from that watching for the coming of the Lord. How can you submit yourself yourself to do the will of God unless you have the Concern the regard for the capacity of Christ to care for you. That is why Peter said, cast all your care upon him. And I am really just giving you what the scriptures say. I acknowledge the difficulty in this text when it comes to application. We all have to acknowledge it if we're honest. But I want to come now to the second aspect of our text, the caliber of his care. Just how extensive is the care of Jesus? Is it the kind of care that leaves us barely noticed? How much does he care? How much will he care? Well, we find the answer in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. 
the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And if you know your chapter content, you know the Gospel of John, chapter 10, is the chapter dealing with Christ, the Good Shepherd. In John, chapter 10, and verse 11, we read concerning this designation of the Savior for himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling. And notice, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And now notice, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's the caliber of his care. He lays down his life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Here is the measure of the love of the Savior for his people. He said, I know my sheep. I know who they are. He's not talking about them as a mass. not talking about them as a faceless throng. He's saying, I know each one. I know each one by name. He is full of compassion. Whatever the need is, he understands. And he will meet that need. So that he cares deeply. Here's the caliber that we're talking about. He cares deeply about what happens to his sheep. He uses the illustration of the hireling. The hireling runs away because he doesn't care anything about the sheep. He's just there to collect a paycheck. But Jesus is there to lay down his life for the sheep. He will never leave us or forsake us. And the clearest demonstration of that care, as we saw this morning, appeared at Calvary. It appeared on the cross. You ever wonder whether Jesus cares about you? You have to come back to the cross. You have to come back to Calvary. Because we read in the scriptures that there he bore the burden of his people's sin. In fact, in this very same epistle, In chapter 2 and verse 24, the inspired apostle used the same imagery. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. 
He bore the burden of his people's sin so as to deliver them from the wrath of God. He bears the direction of his people's lives. And it was the sweet psalmist of Israel, David himself, in the 37th Psalm, who took note of this reality, Psalm 37 This is a psalm full of imperatives. It begins with those memorable words, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. But notice in verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord. That is the same really as saying, Cast all your care upon him. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The direction of your life is in his control. And in directing his people's lives, he protects them from their enemy. In this very chapter that from which we read, in 1 Peter chapter 5, what is it that Peter says immediately after casting all your care upon him? He warns about the enemy. He warns about your adversary. And then in verse 10, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he have suffered a while, make you perfect, Establish, strengthen, settle you. Here is the protection from the enemy. Jesus accomplished the salvation of his people and he achieved their everlasting protection from the devil by his death on the cross. We are to be aware of the devil and not be ignorant of his devices. But nowhere do we read that we are to fear him because Jesus has suffered on the cross. And that brings me to one final thought from our text this evening, the consolation of his care. He does care. He cares for you. That means in times of distress, He cares for you. There was a notable incident in the life of David. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And verse 6. David and his men came back to their city of Ziklag and It was destroyed and all the people were taken away. Verse 5, David's wife, two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And we read in verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. No use telling David here, look David, you just need to trust the Lord. He was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Remember that this was the man 
whom Samuel had anointed to be the next king. The people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So what did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It was a time of great distress. But he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There is also strengthening in times of weakness and weariness. David wrote again, and this time in the Psalms, in the 27th Psalm, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 27, especially the last verses of the Psalm. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living, wait on the Lord, and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When we first came to Phoenix 37 years ago this summer, we worshipped for a time at Heart to Heart Bible Church at 3rd Avenue and Bell Road in North Phoenix. And the pastor, Dr. Hickok, at the time, would regularly conclude the services on the Lord's Day evening with the words from the end of Psalm 27. Would even invite everybody to recite them with him. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Even in times of desperation, even in times of distress, wait on the Lord, and he shall strengthen thine heart. This waiting is the same as what we find in our text. It's casting all your care upon him. So there's strengthening in times of weakness and weariness and confidence in times of the fear of man. Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verse 3. This was a psalm of David. We read, He was in trouble. When the Philistines took him in Gath, we read in verse 3, What time I am afraid. David knew what it was to be afraid. He wasn't suggesting that the Lord's people should never have any fear. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. In times when the fear of man is strong, David said, I will trust in God. That is, I will cast all my care upon him. We look at the example of our Lord Jesus himself. And what do we find? If you, if you read through the Gospels, again and again you find that he cast himself always upon his God. 
upon his father. He suffered many things. We read and considered some of those things this morning. He suffered injustice. He was treated more shamefully than anyone has ever been treated and deserved it less. But without protest, because he cast all his care upon the Father, upon his God. And he knew that God was accomplishing his will in all these circumstances. So it is true tonight that Jesus cares. And again, I just leave you with the text. It is a powerful text. And I don't pretend to know how best to apply it to your situation. But I think we can say, this is the Lord's word to his people. Cast all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we feel we have only scratched the surface of the text this evening, and we understand how difficult the application of it is to us in our own lives, but O Lord, let this word dwell in our hearts. Let it bear fruit in our lives. Teach us to cast all our care upon Christ. And the argument is knowing that he cares for us. O Lord, we ask thee to bless thy word to every soul. Now, O Lord, thou hast appointed a time for fellowship among thy people before we go to our homes. We ask, O Lord, that thou would bless that time, bless the things that we are to consume. We thank thee for providing them, and we pray, O Lord, that thou would bless our conversation with each other. And, O Lord, we pray that as we go to our homes, we may go with the Simple statement ringing in our hearts, Jesus cares. So hear us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.